Welcome to the Book of Mormon Evidence Podcast with host Rod Meldrum. This week's Come Follow Me supplemental study is Lesson 29, Alma 36-38, through 38. Look to God and Live. Rod's guest this week is Pamela Romney Openshaw. She is the author of Promises of the Constitution, Yesterday, Today, and Tomorrow. Pam is married to her sweetheart, Robert Openshaw, who's a retired colonel in the United States Air Force. They have raised eight hardworking children and many grandchildren after 55 years of marriage. They have traveled all over the world. Pam says, the document of the United States Constitution gave us the greatest prosperity in the modern world and has been twisted and ignored into a shadow of its former greatness. She says, I found my passion for the Constitution and developed a yearning for the politics of good moral government, serving as an elected delegate from Nebraska to President Carter's 1980 White House Conference on Families. Welcome, everyone. Uh, we're glad to have you back. Uh, I am really excited about uh, our, our, our guest uh, this week is going to be uh, Pam Openshaw. And uh, she is a, an expert on uh, government and, uh, and, and uh, freedom and liberty and things like that. And uh, so we're going to be actually talking about this is Alma chapters uh, 36, 37, and 38 in the uh, Come Follow Me program. Again, we want to just uh, let everybody know that, uh, that we are assuming that you've already gone through the lesson itself. These are deep dives into certain aspects of these, of these scriptures. So that's what we're doing here today. So I'm going to start off a little bit by having Pam give a quick little introduction to her about herself. And uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, Pam. Thank you. My name is Pamela Romney Openshaw. My husband, Bob, and I have been teaching the Constitution for well over a decade now, traveling the country and doing writing and creating materials. We served an LDS mission to Italy and lived under socialism there, and it was very interesting. During that period of time, uh, Barack Obama was elected president of the United States. We returned and saw that there were a lot of differences in the country. We felt prompted to study the Constitution. I fell in love with it. Um, I love the document. My expertise is not on what's going on in today's world. It's on what our founding fathers created at the very beginning. And that was a wonderful experience. So I'm happy to be here today to talk about that and most loving the <laughs> idea of working with Rod because I like his brain. Well, we've been, we <laughs> just wow, that. I man. like your brain. What is up with that? <laughs> no, we, we've been friends for a long time, actually, long time, and, uh, yeah. and, and yeah. Uh, she has done uh, presentations. In fact, if you'd like to see a lot more of Pam's um, materials, we have on the, on the uh, Book of Mormon Evidence streaming website. Uh, we have all these different other conferences, and she's spoken at numerous of our conferences and things, and uh, um, has just had just amazing information about all of this. So we're we're gonna we're gonna pick your brain uh, oh, about uh, some of this stuff. So let's 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 good. jump into it, uh, everybody. So again, if you have your annotated edition of the Book of Mormon handy, that's going to be handy on this one. Not so much in this one as in the next one, because this is actually going to be a kind of a two part thing. Um, there's going to be about four weeks in between. So once we, uh, once we do this one, then about four weeks from now, we'll be going into Helaman and the beginning of Helaman. And Helaman, it has um, some really additional important things that are going Dynamic to kind of piggyback to this one. Yeah, um, and so we have uh, some, some great uh, presentations coming up, but uh, this is going to be one. So if you, are, if you are hearing this one, then you may want to kind of Fast forward in four weeks from now and, and listen to the second half of this. 
or if you're or, or if you if you just come to this one from uh, if you listen to the uh, the Heelman one, you might want to come back and pick this one up so you kind of know a little bit more about where we're starting. So that's well, just and a we're also going to be talking talking a lot about what's happening in the world today right now yes. and how it ties into the Book of Mormon because it does. It's beautiful the way they all tie together. Absolutely, the Book of Mormon is is a. Um, oh, we're going to talk about this. The Book of Mormon is a liahona for each of yes, us to see what's yep. going on today. And luckily, um, um, Lehi let me borrow the uh, the, the actual liahona <laughs> for, for this meeting. <laughs> Borrowed it from the church. <laughs> no, if you've been watching these podcasts, you know that we've had this on the on the on the desk here, you know, for a long time. So. All right, so let's go ahead and get started with chapter 36 okay. of Alma. So this is on page 275 in the Annotated Book of Mormon. And, uh, and one of the very first things that comes right out of the chute is now this is, what, this is Alma, um, and he's basically talking to his son, Helaman. So this is Alma the Younger, and he's, talking, he's not talking to, but he's actually writing this, uh, this, this uh, I don't know if you want to call it a letter of encouragement or basically to, uh, or to uh, give him some guidance in his life. It's almost a patriarchal, uh, yeah, it's patriarchal like a patriarchal blessing, blessing you know, yeah, from his father. From his father, yeah, and one of the first things he comes out and says, uh, "Keep the commandments." Now, um, I, I just want to take just a second because, um, just in case some of you are are not really that familiar with our research, and maybe you're just jumping in on the middle of this uh, conversation, I want to uh, go for just a second, just kind of explain why this commandments thing is such a big deal. So we're going to go to uh, our the uh, the screen here for just a second. And uh, so this goes back to the covenant that God made with, with Abraham. So this covenant involves basically four things. Um, it involves a land. Now, this, when I say covenant, basically God made a covenant with Abraham. That's right. And that, that he would be blessed with the land, with posterity, prosperity, and security. And if you haven't seen all this already, uh, go to the, some of the earlier podcasts, and we go into this in a lot of depth and detail. So we're not going to cover this in any detail now. But uh, but this is these are the blessings associated with the covenant, and the covenant was basically so these were blessings specifically so that Abraham's posterity would have the means necessary to take the gospel to all the nations of the earth, which was his his directive basically. This is what he was supposed to do with his life. He says, "Through thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed with the with the gospel." So then, if, we, if that's the case, then there is a very particular part of this covenant, and we're going to talk about this in some more detail in these next two last these these two lessons that we're doing here together, right now, and that has to do with this document that you see on your screen right here, which is the the preamble or the the early portion, of the top portion of the of the. Uh, uh, the Constitution of the United States. That's really the mission statement for America. Yes, it is. It is. And in the preamble of the Constitution, um, folks, it says, We, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, to ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. Right? Um, so as you as you look at that, basically there are there are in the preamble of the Constitution all four aspects of this Abrahamic covenant That's that right. God made because Abraham was one hundred percent obedient to his his uh, directives, his commandments. So it's interesting to note you're talking about the covenant, the covenant that we uh, enter into with God 
is not just involving religious principles, although, of course, that's the core, but it also involves the governing principles that God gave us that you can find in the Constitution, that you found among ancient Israel, that you found among the Nephites. These are the governing principles that God gave us in order for freedom to stand. So we have civic principles and we have religious principles involved in that covenant. And uh, and those things are, to some extent, um, not even completely separate. I mean, when you, when yeah, you take a look at the uh, you know, the, yeah. these, these, these same kind of the same war that happened in the pre-existence, our, our, our position on uh, freedom and on liberty in the pre-existence really determined our, our coming to the earth or not. Right. And, and receiving a body or not until we keep progressing right. or not. Satan said he would bring us into mortality and, and tell us what to do, force us to do what he told us to do. And that ties in beautifully with what's happening today and a lot of the governing systems that we see trying to encroach on, in America. Socialism, in fact, yeah. is very much that kind of a government. It's yeah. where the leaders will tell you what to do and make sure that you do what is right. It follows beautifully and we will with save Satan's you all. plan. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody yeah. will be saved. Oh, but, but, but we get the credit. Exactly. <laughs> that's that's exactly. how Satan works. Okay, that's right. how he rolls. Okay, so uh, but I wanted to go into so this this uh, this covenant blessings basically are in the um, in the Constitution, the preamble of the Constitution. Um, but the, but what is the there, there are a couple of requirements though. These are the blessings that the covenant people can receive, but there are a couple of requirements, and really there's only one major one. There's it's just only one requirement. But that one thing is subdivided into 10 smaller things. That's right. <laughs> keep the commandments. The secret right. the secret is to keep the commandments. If you keep the commandments, all, uh, all other things are done. If you keep the commandments, God will deliver you. If you don't keep the commandments, you have bondage. So yeah. surely that's the case spiritually, and it's also the case civically. Yeah. So what, so what, is, this, uh, what is the obligation then associated with this covenant? Uh, and now this this is a we're talking about a national covenant in this particular case right now. Right. But there's mm-hmm. but there's a there's a global covenant. There's a national covenant, and there's also a a private or a, or a uh-huh. personal covenant. Okay. And that's what I think is happening yeah. in these uh, two chapters that uh, that we're studying today. We have Alma giving counsel to his son Helaman about how to live his own life personally, but the same principles that are taught to Helaman in order to keep the commandments for himself personally apply also to civil government. And so countries have to do the same things that individuals have to do. And that's why it's so critical that this section, that this uh, particular chapter in the Book of Mormon starts with keep the commandments and it ends with keep the commandments because nations must keep the commandments just as individuals must keep the commandments. I I do want to bring up one one thing about that though. And that is when it comes down to I, I've had uh, I've had opportunities to to speak to you know to uh, groups all over the world and and uh, one of the interesting aspects of that is I, I I've actually asked the question so when it comes down to the church do we believe in what they call deathbed repentance <laughs> you know that that somebody can just at the last second just say I believe and everything's fine and most members of the church will say no no we don't believe in deathbed repentance and then I have to remind them that's 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 not correct because. We actually believe in after-death repentance. We do. That's exactly <laughs> okay. right. <laughs> okay, and the reason why is because the judgment doesn't happen until later on, um, when the when the judgment happens. We go to spirit paradise or spirit prison, and then there's a there's a time there. So there's there's repenting time in that time frame always. too. That's up always until there. the judgment. Anyway, anyway right. so but, but but so what I was going to mention is basically that when it comes down to the other side of the veil, though, as far as we know, there isn't going to be a 
government per se. There's going to be a king of kings and lord of lords. Exactly. And so judgments on nations, there's not going to be a separate judgment for nations later on. Judgments on nations have to happen in the here and now. They happen right now. That's right. And so when a nation gets to a certain point, the judgments just automatically follow. That's right. Exactly. And what we're we're reading here is is the ramp up, basically coming into uh, when you get up to Helaman, uh, which is when things start to really get uh, get bad with That's the right. with the nations. But this is this is him kind of telling this story here, and uh, and 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 we're we're basically still about uh, 40, 50 years before Christ comes, um, and he's trying to help the his son to understand and to be a good leader because he right. knows his son's going to end up being a leader. I think as as far as that's concerned. Okay, so so uh, so I wanted to go. What is the obligation then that is associated with this particular covenant? And it's really simple. Keep the commandments. That's right. So as a nation, to receive all the blessings of the covenant, that's all they have to do. They don't all have to be tithe payers. They don't all have to be you know, temple worthy. In fact, the vast majority of the people in the nation won't have any idea about tithing or temples. But they can keep the But they can live the, the minimum standard, the lowest right. law. If they will at least do that, mm-hmm. then they receive all the blessings of the covenant. So let's talk about just for a second. What are those those things? We have ten commandments here, right? That's right. And uh, and the first one is that I am the Lord thy God. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. How as I as I go through this really quickly because even in the church we don't really spend an awful lot of time reviewing the commandments. Do we know? Could we recite them from memory? Could you just automatically just uh, just close your eyes and just recite all ten commandments? I could probably get most of them, but I don't know if I'd have them in order. Yeah, exactly. So you know, so we don't really study this, but this, this is the single most important thing for it's a the nation. core. It's the core of everything to receive the blessings. And yeah. so, so I'm just going to do a quick review of that. Sure. Uh, if that's okay. Sure. <laughs> if you have any comments, Pam, you jump <laughs> oh, in there. Okay. So uh, thou shalt have no other gods before me. And isn't it interesting? One of the uh, years ago, one of the one of the most uh, uh, dominant shows on TV on television was called American Idol. Um, and what were we idolizing? Oh, people yeah. who could sing and dance and uh-huh. entertain us. That's right. They're the idols, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, they became the idols, and, they, and they're saying this is the American Idol. <laughs> okay, so not the, not the people who basically uh, you know, are the prophets and, and, the, and the people who are the, uh, you know, the, the priests and those who teach um, in, in churches all over this country and so forth, or leaders of the country and so forth. It's who can entertain us became the idol of America. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. How are we doing as a nation there? Boy, how, say, can you go to, how do you go to the movies anymore? And it, 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 It's it, almost like, not even hardly offensive anymore because you just hear it so often. It's just like, well, gosh, you know. When, when we used to watch movies language. like that at home with the kids and one of those words would come up, I'd go, ooh, yeah. language. And pretty soon the older kids were going, oh, no, here goes mom. She's going to say language again. <laughs> it, but yeah. it, I felt like I was at least contributing something. I'm at least protesting yeah. the fact that that's happening in a movie. Yeah, and it's just, and it just now it's just commonplace now. Oh, gosh, yes. And, 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 unless it's basically the, the F word, basically. Oh, now. Um, everything yeah. else is just kind of fine. That's the only thing that they really will, yeah. will edit out yeah. as far as that's concerned. Yeah. So, um, Let's see. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Pam, how are we doing on that as a nation? Um, 
I've worried about that since we're no longer going to church on Sunday because Bob and I were talking just this past Sunday. It just seems like that day blends into the rest of the week. I've I've learned to really value and cherish the fact that we get to go to church because I love to go to church. I grew up my entire life going to church. Uh, and so I I find myself with this desire to cherish that day. Yeah. But I think a lot of people are, are kind of... I worry about kind that through the nation. I believe that we're, we've lost that pretty well. Yeah, you know, it, it, it's interesting. Um, what if we actually had such a desire to go to church and to commune with the other saints and so forth and to have that experience that um, that we actually refuse to obey laws against going to church? Oh. And the thing is, were there any well, laws passed in today, that's against exact, going to church? That's exactly well, what's happened Well, no, there wasn't. That's exactly what's happened to us in this COVID-19. We have essential things and non-essential things, and we've had religion delegated to the non-essentials. And yeah. I want to say that is you not can get my belief You can get an abortion, but you can't go to church. I know. Even if you go in cars and you're, and you're not even in the same, you're not even in the church. I know. They've tried that. But so, no, no, we can't have any of that stuff. But if you want to riot, now that's okay. <laughs> and tear down a statue. You're fine. If you want to tear down statues and, and riot and, and burn down things and And, and yet and loot, we're laughing. We're laughing, then, uh, but that's really not funny. We're not laughing because it's funny. funny. All, we're laughing because yeah. it hurts, and we don't know any other way to express yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. So then it says, honor thy father and thy mother. Um, but what do you have when you have about uh, you know, 50 60%, or actually I think it's now about 65% of all children are born into this world? Without a father that's yes. known. Yes, that's Without right. a father figure. And families How are you supposed to honor them if you don't even have, know who they are? Yeah, and families being torn apart yeah. through divorce and the like. We see that a lot. Yeah, and then uh, thou shalt not kill um, unless they're not born yet. Exactly. And then, if, and then it's okay. And in fact, uh, if you take a look at the coronavirus um, itself, the, uh, and I, I can show you a couple of things there, um, but the coronavirus and how many people have died and so forth. From January one, to, I think it was to March or March or April. With I think of uh, I think it was March twenty fifth. There was only at that point in time about twenty five thousand people who had passed, who died from the coronavirus. There were almost a quarter of a million people who died from malaria. I know. I didn't even realize that malaria was still a thing. I know. <laughs> yeah, I didn't realize that that was even going on in the world. I know. And then people who died from cancer, and people who died from heart disease, and people who died from starvation. I was surprised to see the figures. Um, how many people, about 1.2, 1, 1. I think it was, million people have passed away from from January 1 to March 25th. Uh, 1 point something million people had died on, because of conditions related to starvation. I didn't I know. know that was even going on. But when you put... But but then but then at the very bottom of this we of shut this down thing, the society because we've had peop- a few people dying of corona. Yeah, yeah. It has but there was nine point nine point one million children killed in that same time frame. Which, if you add everything up in the in, in, in all of the different the pandemic and the and everything else, all the other deaths basically oh. um, combined there of, of of those particular items, other than obviously just death because of old age kind of thing. Um, it was as much as all of the rest of them combined. Oh my goodness! But yet you don't see us out there picking no. in the streets to uh, you know BLM babies lives matter. <laughs> yes. You know, yes. instead it's uh, instead it's Black Lives Matter, and 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 just the, just that saying in and of itself, um, I, I think is problematic. Basically, if you say that Black Lives Matter, that infers that Black lives didn't matter before, and now all of a sudden they do. 
And that's not and true that, at all. No, that's not been the um, case. You know, I mean, we had a black president, for heaven's sake. Yes. Okay. Um, then, and then the other part about Black Lives Matter, if, if black lives are the only ones that matter, does that diminish the, the, the importance of other lives? I know. And I think that that It's a confused world. Not. Don't you think? That's just, that's just a really confused world. And for those of us who take the point of view that we want to reason our way through the world, we want to look at the facts, we want to, to see what, what's actually structuring in the world, it's like the reasoning power that we have is being discounted because reason is not what we're about anymore. But we're emotions. about someone else's emotions being driven mm-hmm. on us. Um, if I use my reasoning power, I know that all lives matter. Yeah. Unborn babies to every race to everyone. And it kind of, kind of reminds me of in the Book of Mormon itself. I mean, if, if the Book of Mormon is the prehistory, if you will, of the United States, if it's the parallel history or the foreshadowing of what's going to happen in the United States, um, isn't it interesting the Lamanites that were constantly, you know, battling with the Nephites in this time frame of history? Mm-hmm. Um, how many of them had been wronged directly by a Nephite? Well, that's Nobody. very. Yes, that's a very good point. And it's also very interesting by the time we get to part two in this, we're going to see the Lamanites become more righteous than the Nephites. And the Lamanites are going to begin to teach the Nephites. So the Book of Mormon, I feel, anyway. Yeah, so so we'll just kind kind of follow up to that. So basically you have, in fact, most of the time the Lamanites, they were cool with how things were going until... The centers of the Nephites came and they riled That's them right. up. That's right. And uh, and basically said, you know, you That's were wrong. Yeah, you know, it was. Yeah, it was. It was. You know, five hundred years ago, but you guys were wrong. Yeah. Um, way back in Laman Lemuel's day, and you need to take up arms and you need to start killing your brethren because That's dang, right. you were wronged all this long time ago. Isn't that kind of how it is? Like with the whole slavery the issue. Ne- uh-huh. Yes. I mean, yes. how many of the black people today have been enslaved? You know, in, in the same kind of format as any kind of slavery that was going on that they're complaining about. Not one. Well, and also, you have an interesting point if you start looking at the concept of slavery and racial discrimination. If you go back through the history of the world, most every society had slaves, and many of the people that came to the United States of America went through a period of that persecution was kind of the norm. as well. We went through it as members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. But I know the Chinese went through it, the Baptists went through it, the Irish went through it. And that all transpired in the United States. We're sorry about all of those things. We're sorry that we didn't have greater maturity at the time. But we've, we have reached a point where we've gone past that, and I would like to see well, our the United States. The United States should they get some major credit from the black community for being the first nation to abolish slavery. That's right. The first nation in the entire world. Yeah. And then these guys want to take down the statues of those, basically, who were involved with this struggle. The struggle itself should be remembered so that it never happens again. Just like if you erase the history of Hitler and, uh, and, and, and the, uh, the, the, the brown shirts and all that kind of stuff, and you don't know about that history, then you're likely to have it happen yeah, again. Right, this is the reason why history is so important. That's what we're going to get into yes, here next. Yes, very much so. Okay, yes. so uh, basically... Um, I, I do want to point out something here, though, in, in, uh, on page 277 in the Annotated Book of Mormon. I'll, we need to go back to, just for a second here, the last couple of, uh, of commandments here, because these are important. We didn't finish them up. So thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery. Oh, boy. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's interesting, but, but I mean, we don't even consider adultery anymore most mm-hmm. of the time. Yeah. People live together. Figures into every um, modern love story, doesn't and it's, it? And it's, and it's everywhere in our society. Right. I mean, it, it's no, no longer do you ever – when's the last time you saw a TV 
uh, like a sitcom or a, a show where they didn't, where they're it. basically saying, you know, um, I am not going to have sex with you because uh, it's against my my beliefs, my moral standards, and, my right. moral standards. and until we are married, uh, there's no hanky panky going on, <laughs> you know. So, so when was the last time you saw that on any? Well, once in a while film. on the Hallmark Channel, you see. <laughs> yeah, it's not, it's not yeah. quite that flagrant, but maybe. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. but uh, but there's but there's quite a bit of stuff that goes on there. Uh, thou shalt not steal, um, but stealing and looting and so forth have almost been even condoned by memory of, memory of our, uh, our of our uh, city it's, it's part of civil mayors and and, and state governors yeah. and so forth have had yeah. a situation where they're basically condoning the looting. Well, you know, these it's just people venting. You know, we just need to let them kind of get it out of their system and feel they'll feel better afterwards. Yeah, right. Okay, so uh, thou shalt not bear false witness. Um, has anybody ever heard of CNN <laughs> or, or MSNBC it, or, or, impeach, or ABC or, or impeachment or, procedures that were brought against the oh my president when there was not a basis for fact in what they just, were doing? Just totally blatant and flagrant lying yeah. about uh, things that are going on. And, yeah. they, and they get away with it because people don't fact check things or, or they don't care. It, it, it feels good to them. So isn't it's there a real agenda? Isn't it a real responsibility that each one of us has whenever we see information presented wherever we are to fact check that information so that we can determine what's true? And you see that happening all the way through the Book of Mormon because the people, the Nephites, when they're in a period of righteousness, they you you can see that whole culture come back and listen to the prophets and listen to to the historical records and the like, and they write themselves back to a perspective. It's not happening blatantly. But you can see the people bring themselves back to a point of truth by observing the law. Yeah, yeah. I, I, one of the things that just comes up to me is the the Brett Kavanaugh debacle. You know, he accused of uh, of raping and so forth and so on, and then there was not a single shred of any evidence. Just just yeah. one crazy lady's oh, idea. That was, yeah, that was unfortunate. Um, and, and and even her best friends that were there and, and knew her and everything at the time and were friends with her at the time basically said, we don't have any idea what she's talking about. It was a, it was a blatant attempt at, at basically destroying the life of a guy um, over political issues. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, anyway, so thou shalt not bear false witness. Thou shalt not covet. You know, so if, there's if, a, that's the last one. If you go back, though, to the thou shalt not bear false witness, we need to talk a little bit about what's going on with the political parties in the United States because it, we've evolved to a point where we see that the the statements and the beliefs of the political parties supersede what really happened. And you see that also in the Book of Mormon. You see it very clearly when Pahoran dies and his three sons come forward and the three political parties evolve and one of them erupts into treason. And, and so they've got that going on in the Book of Mormon as well as we did. Yeah. They, these, are, these are kind of universal principles of maladjustment, if I dare call them that. Yeah. And so, yeah, we learn about the, the Book of Mormon, how we should conduct ourselves today. Yeah, and we're going to talk about that very in much. a lot more detail here. So the very end of, uh, of chapter 36 he basically says, but behold, my son, this is not all, for ye ought to know, as I do know, that inasmuch as ye shall keep the commandments of God, ye shall prosper in the land. How many times does the Book of Mormon say that? What, keep the what? commandments, you're going to prosper in the land. You keep Hundreds. the commandments, everything's going to go okay yeah. for you. Yes, yes, that's it true. It says, and ye ought to know also that inasmuch as ye will not keep the commandments of God. So this is kind of a duality thing here. So he, so obviously, I think it's the inference is, is if you keep the commandments, you'll be blessed. 
but he wants to make good and sure that Helaman understands that the not keeping the commandments part has also with it a specific judgment. He says, if you will not keep the commandments of God, you shall be cut off from his presence. Now, this is according to his word. And he ties the record keeping into that as well. So we keep the commandments, but we also keep the records that validate what we've done. And, and we use the records to help us stabilize ourselves and you know, you know, understand what the law is so we can come back again to that. Exactly. That committed ground place. Exactly. Okay, so now one, one thing I want to point out is that, so we so in this chapter 36, it begins and ends talking about the commandments. Commandments, mm-hmm. And folks, that should be a clue, <laughs> okay? If you see the same kind of thing in beginning and ending, it doesn't necessarily happen by chapter all the time, but in this particular case it does. But if you see the same two things being talked about twice and there's stuff in between, Maybe, just maybe, <laughs> this might be a chiastic structure. Uh-huh. Yeah. Now, chiasm, basically, again, for those of you who may not know what a chiasm is, it's basically you have like concept A, concept B, concept C. It revisits concept C, goes back to concept B, and then revisits concept A. Mm-hmm. So it's basically first and first shall be last, last shall be first kind of thing, right? right? And amazingly, the entire chapter of Alma 36 is a chiasm. And so I wanted to, to point this out on page 277 the Annotated Book of Mormon. If you haven't uh, got that, or if you, if you want to pull that up, it's really great. So the, the first part of the chiasm is give ear to my words in verse 1. That corresponds with according to his word in verse 30. And this is both of them talk about the commandments. Uh, the second part of the chiasm is trust in God and be supported in trials, troubles, and afflictions. That's verse 3. The, the reflexive one, that be, what's called B prime, basically, is I trust in him and have been supported under trials, troubles, and, and, and afflictions, and that's verse 27. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, a number, concept number C, the knowledge which I have is not of the carnal mind, but of God. This is uh, verses 4 and 5 um, of, of that. And then the, the, the counterpart to that is the knowledge which I have is of God. That's verse 26. And then in concept D, I sought to destroy the church of God. And concept D primed is, I have labored with ce- without ceasing to bring souls unto repentance. Okay, so this is, the, this is showing the repentance thing. First, he was trying to destroy them. Second, he's trying to basically save them. Then concept E, I will remember all my sins and iniquities. This is from verses 12 and 13. And that corresponds with, uh, I was harrowed up by the memories of my sins no more. So he remembered his sins, and then he was forgiven of his sins. Okay, so that's uh, verses 19 and 20. But the central focus of the chiastic structure is verses 17 and 18, which it says, I remember that Jesus Christ, a son of God, would atone for our sins. That's in verse 17. And F primed is basically, I cried, O Jesus, thou son of God, have mercy on me. From verse 18. Yes. And so the, so the last, you know, A, B, C, D, E, and F all are leading up. And then each one of those is repeated again as you go down through the rest of the chiasm in this chapter. So I just wanted to point that out. Again, it's a, it, this is a, the reason why this is important is because it's a literary structure which wasn't even known to exist until about 50 years ago. And, uh, and now we know that this is something that the Jews or Hebrews did. Um, it's throughout the Book of Mormon, and there's no way that Joseph Smith would have known about these structures or did they even use them back in his Time frame. Not only that, but the those who wrote the Book of Mormon and introduced those chiasmic structures were just nailing down their points. They build to a concept, mm-hmm. and then they back away from that concept and go back to their beginning. But in the process of doing that, they just reiterate that, and it, it yep. drives it home to you. 
Yep. There's a wonderful quote here by Spencer W. Kimball at the bottom of page 276. I could remember my pains no more. Now anguish was turned to joy, pain to calm, darkness to light. Only now could Alma have peace. He emphasized to his son Shiblon the sole source of that peace, and never until I did cry unto the Lord Jesus Christ for mercy did I receive a remission of my sins. Mm -hmm. But behold, I did cry unto him, and I did find peace to my soul. Yeah. Then that gives that. Okay, so let's, beautiful, let's jump into chapter thirty-seven. This is where we're, this is where we're going to spend the most of the time okay. here um, on chapter thirty-seven, and we're going to start off here with uh, in verse one. It says, "My son Helaman, take the records which you have entrusted with me. I, I command you to take the records which have been entrusted to with me, and I also command you, you shall keep a record of this people according to as I have done upon the plates of Nephi. This is the the basically the uh, the, the large plates of Nephi." And keep all these things sacred, which I have kept, even as I have kept them, for it is, has a wise purpose that they are kept. Now, throughout this, and, and in fact, throughout the Book of Mormon, they talk about this wise purpose. And, uh, and, and, and clearly, one of the, the wise purpose he's talking about now in verse 3, and, then, and these plates of brass, which contain these engravings, which have the records of the Holy Scriptures upon them, which have the genealogy of our forefathers, even from the beginning. So he's talking about a record of history. That's right. Okay, and, and, and interestingly enough, um, I just I want to take some time here and, and, and discuss with you, Pam, about um, the importance of history. Mm-hmm. Um, and just a couple of examples, folks. Um, why is history important? Who cares about history? That was probably my least favorite subject in high school, <laughs> is history. I, I like to learn about the American history stuff, but... I, it was my favorite world history subject. was not my favorite thing. Oh, I love it. Well, I haven't enjoyed world history as much. Yeah. United States yeah. history is wonderful. And as, as I've studied the Constitution and studied the Founding Fathers, I've found so many things yeah. that, that, that teach me how to be a better person, but also that identify for me what these founding individuals were doing as they actually wrote the Constitution of the United States. They believed that they were creating a document that would be for the benefit of the entire world. They realized that this document was not just for the United United States. Yeah. And they yeah. realized that they were pulling together all of this information that had come from some of the great minds, from Locke and from Montesquieu. And, but one of their major sources of information, in fact, their main source of information was the Bible. Was the Bible. Yeah. And it was the first five books of, uh, of the Bible. Uh, Moses. The Law of Moses, yeah. Because in the Law of Moses, you see, that's so fascinating. If you look at what law meant in the world, you see that the Law of Moses that was given was really the first organized set of law ever given to a group of people. We did have other laws that had emerged in small groups, but they were all based on what the ruler wanted and implemented. And then you have a law called the Law of Hammurabi, which had been in effect for a while, and that had some definitely some true principles to it. But no, now you have... Have God coming to Moses and saying, this I am going to give you my law. <laughs> Bring the people to the foot of Mount Sinai and I will give them the law. Well, Moses brings them to the to the mountain and God begins to speak and the people panic and they all run away. And so Moses has to go receive the law by himself because the people just weren't quite prepared to handle that. And then God spells out a law that is absolutely beautiful. It defends the rights of the individual. It defends the property of the individual. It requires that you accept responsibility for your own actions. Everything in that law is designed to to influence and to uplift the average individual. There'd never been a law like that. And also basically to have a culture or a society 
that can work together yes. without basically killing yes. each other. Yes. And so, you know, so the, it, it, along with Jethro. If the entire society would follow these Ten Commandments. Exactly. Societies wouldn't have major problems. I mean, you know, obviously, there'd be some issues and discussions and so forth, but not any major Well, things. and so it's very interesting uh, when the United States of America, of course, became... Uh, yeah. Evolved, not evolved. When the United States of America became a nation, Thomas Jefferson had the idea that he would impose this same set of standards on the people of the United States, and he formulated a concept where groups of no more than about 100 to 200 families would go to a specific area, mm -hmm. and they would develop that area, and they would develop these small communities all yeah. around the area that became the United States. And He really advocated that. It never took off. But it's a beautiful concept, and it's all based on the principle that Moses' father Jethro introduced to him when he said, divide the people into groups of 10 with a leader, yep. groups of 50, 50, groups of 100, 100. groups of 1,000, each with yeah. a leader. Then the leaders all come together, and they form a council. This would have been very similar to our House of Representatives because it would have been the voice of the people. Yeah. And then you have the 70 elders that were brought together, mm -hmm. and so they presided very much as a Senate. And then you have Moses standing at the head of all that and you have very close to a representation of our government here in the United States of America, right. our constitutional republic developed. Right. And and Which, by the way, I just want to make sure that people understand this is this was not ever originally set up as a democracy. It was this oh it's a republic. Thank you for saying that. And you will hear politicians say it mm -hmm. and you hear the news media say it and you hear it's people become in a democracy over time. Yeah. So but, there yeah. is a concept of democracy, and we do employ some of that in the United sure. States of America, meaning that the people speak forward, but this is not a democracy. A democracy is a very dangerous form of government, in fact, the most dangerous form of government. And so well, we are the, very the, much. The, the reason for that, that is because in a democracy, basically, the people, uh, the people themselves basically. Um, Make all the laws and, and everything happens. Smart from that. leaders can if you, if you if you if That's you get right. half of the people, more than half of the people choosing inequity. Yeah. I mean, what what if what if what if uh, all of a sudden half of the people just decide, you know what, I I you know we want your property. Yeah. Then, as long as they vote, half of them. That's right. And they can get half of them, to, more than half of them, fifty-one percent of them to vote. And you don't and have anything. Think that, left. Then you have no say. Um, but th but that's why the republic is such a the United States Constitution and the, and the the government that that was spawned by that um, is so unique in the world and why it has lasted longer than any other form of government um, you know and as far as not form of government but they, longer than any other nation well, basically well, in under that same government well, so you form. have people that come together and in this sense you could call it a little bit of a democracy, but the people come together and they elect representatives and then the representatives are the ones who form the law. And what happens when you do that is you create a filter between the the uh, instant emotions that can be whipped into shape by, by a passionate individual among the people and the laws themselves. That has to be filtered through a group of individuals that have to take time to evaluate the responses and such. And so it takes away that inflammatory concept that you have in a democracy. And so That's it's why the it, Lord said that in, in the Doctrine and Covenants that uh, but that uh, wise and just uh, men you should you should choose 
Wise and just men. Wisely and so forth, and and, uh, and and anything more than that cometh of evil. But the, but, the, <laughs> but the Savior also says, and he says it several places in the Book of Mormon, that mm-hmm. the government, especially under the laws that King Mosiah implemented, the government is to operate under the voice of the people because the majority of the people do choose what's right. right. Now, if you reach a point where the majority of people are not choosing what is We're right. We're going to get into that in Helaman. Yeah. <laughs> okay. We're going to talk about that soon. All right, but I, but I, wanted, I wanted to, uh, to explore a little bit further, though, this concept of the importance importance of history. Um, If you take a look at some of the historical um, times of history, what you have is basically, for example, I just, I'm I'm thinking of the, uh, like the Egyptians. Okay. Um, Back in the days when they, when, when when a new ruler in Egypt would take over, like the Hyksos, when they took, when they took over Egypt, uh, one of the first things that they did was they basically started to take down their monuments. They would have their, they'd have stonemasons go out and chisel out the previous um, ruler's name and his and his and his ancestry and his heritage and so forth because they wanted to basically eliminate that history so the people wouldn't know what that history was and then they take some other history that they want put in there and they put that in there in place well and, and they chisel his name on the monuments instead right. you know in, in Egypt so now the, you see something going on like that oh something? just maybe yeah maybe just see kind something of like, like that, that. <laughs> some of the riots that are taking place but tear the, down the history yeah let me give you another another example of why history is so critically important you have Lehi and Sariah and the boys, and they have already left Jerusalem. They're out in the, the desert, basically, uh, along the, the Red Sea there. And um, then Lehi receives a, uh, you know, the, the, the vision, basically, to, uh, to, go and, to go back and get the plates. Well, he, he, he had to have known who had the plates. I mean, Laban has the plates. So how are you going to get it? He knows he's probably going to put his sons, their entire, all, of, all of their sons, in jeopardy. Which they, of course is why Sariah they, they was could so get killed about that. Yes, That's right. because she feared that that had happened. Sariah's like she's out of her out of her uh, mind, scared about these these boys. All, we're sending all of our sons, basically, possibly to their execution when they come and try to take or or get the plates from Laban. He right. might get really ticked off because that's their history. That's right. And he but it was so important that Lehi said, "You know what? It's better that one man should die to perish than the whole nation should dwindle in unbelief." And this is the importance of history. In fact, we, we get back to this right here in, uh, in, in uh, chapters 37. Um, let's see. It says that, uh, uh, it says, now you may suppose that this is verse 6 of chapter 37. Now you may suppose that this, fo- this is foolishness, foolishness in me. But behold, I say unto you that by small and simple things are great things brought to pass. Mm-hmm. And small means in many instances doth confound the wise. That's right. Just like a small um, rudder on a ship can control the entire ship, it's mm-hmm. a small part of it, but without that rudder, the ship can just basically go, uh, and that's, you can't really control the ship. And that's what history is. It yeah. it may appear to be a small and simple thing, but it is profound because it's the recording of what is going mm-hmm. to happen to us experienced by other people who lived in the past because human nature is such that we will repeat the same situations and so by going back to history we can understand that and then when we have a beautiful record like the book of mormon where we are receiving information that is not only about the religious history which is so profoundly important but we are also hearing about history as it pertains to civil government oh it may yeah. be a small and yeah. simple thing to some, but it's profoundly important. And this is in verse 7. And the Lord God doth work by means to bring about his great and eternal purposes. And by very small means the Lord doth confound the wise and bringeth about the salvation of many souls. And then he gives us an example here in, in uh, verse 9. 
to the very may I send to you, were it not for these things that these records do contain, and I think he's talking about their, their history, but he's talking more specifically about the plates of brass, yes, yes, which are on these plates, Ammon and his brethren could not have convinced so many thousands of the Lamanites of their incorrect tradition, of their fathers. So by having the plates of brass and then, and then ha- having the small plates or the large plates of Nephi, they were able to use those that those, those histories basically to show that the claim that Laman and Lemuel were, were wronged has no validity. But in addition to that, remember the importance of the brass plates of Laban and the law of Moses have had on our culture in general because our, our laws in the United States of America are very similar to the laws that, that were lived by ancient Israel. And so we've carried the brass plates and the law of Moses into our system of government, and we now have principles very similar to what they lived by. So when it says here in in Alma 37 that the brass plates, that the, the, the value of the brass plates will go throughout all the world, it has, and it's happening still in the world today. We, yeah. we live many of those yeah. principles, and there have been many, many other uh, nations that have tried to duplicate our Constitution, none of them very successfully, but they've yeah. all tried to bring in these same principles. Yeah, and it's interesting when you, when you take a look at, uh, so how critical was it? So here we have, in this situation, we have Alma the Younger, and he's teaching his son Helaman that they need to live the commandments, and like I said in the very beginning of this podcast, how many of you could actually recite the Ten Commandments? Okay, well, we this was this was five hundred years later. This is five hundred and fifty yeah. years later. It's only about fifty years before Christ. They came at six hundred BC, and this is uh, five hundred years later. How many of them would remember the Ten Commandments if they didn't have the source document, which well, is the brass plates? Don't we know that because we know that the people of Mulek had lost the language and all of that doctrine. Yeah, so they completely when, lost it. Yeah. So when the Nephites found them. The people of Mulek didn't didn't have all this. Yeah. They didn't even speak the same language anymore. Okay, so now I want to just talk for a second about about history in general. So we we have been in the last uh, couple of months, we have been seeing in the United States of America the promised land of God. We have been seeing a deliberate effort to take down the history of the United States. This was done. Um, it's been happening not just the last couple of months, but actually the last number of years. Um, basically, all of the the American history books, they actually changed it back in really about in about 1960s and 70s. They used to have in the curriculum of every high school, they had U.S. history. And then they changed it to social studies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the social studies started to, to water thing. down mm-hmm. the That's American right. history. Whereas in the, in, if you look at some of the earliest uh, history books, they talk about the, the miracles involved with the coming forth of the United States of America. They actually had a lot of the miracles were actually in there. You won't find any of the miracles of the creation of the United States happening or being talked about in the current textbooks that we have. All of our kids in the last probably 30, 40 years have been uh, subjected to. Well, and we're now watching the founding fathers be denigrated. Oh, yeah. And I mean, actually erased. Frank, Franklin was just a womanizing old codger, you know, and, and basically. And, 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 and so many Washington and, and Jefferson, the only thing anybody, any, the only thing that any young person today can tell you about Washington or Jefferson well, they were slave owners. Well, it, so many <laughs> you know? of the things that are being said are not true. Yes. And 
and so many of the things that need to be said are are absent from that situation. I've been doing a lot of reading. I actually listen to audiobooks because I have a problem with my eyes, so it's difficult for me to read anything. Now, by the way, Pam basically can hardly see oh, I am. anything. I'm sort She's, of blind. I mean, I don't know if you're <laughs> legally blind at this point. or uh, Close to. Pretty much. Yeah, close yeah. to. I, I'm still functional around my house, but otherwise dependent on my husband. He and I hold hands a great deal, which I love very much, but he's always guiding me through Letting me know where there's a step or a curve. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, I've been so, doing a lot of stuff. What I'm saying is that she's a real patriot. I mean, she's she's <laughs> basically she's here doing this podcast, and uh, and it's not an easy thing to get out of the house and go and do and and, and be places. And I so, told, I told, Pam, thank you so much for for taking the effort. You are you are a patriot. Uh, thank you. I like. I told you I like your brain. You're unstoppable. <laughs> <laughs> I like your brain, but I also want to keep mine. So I continue to study. <laughs> So I'm doing a lot, been doing a lot of studying about the yeah. founding fathers and the voices that are coming in, substantiating each other. One person makes up something about the founding fathers, and you're going, oh, that's not that's not true. There's no validation for that. I've researched that. I know there's no validation. And the next person picks it up. And, and so the, this distortion of our history yeah. is not just happening with looters and rioters that are tearing down statues. It's been help. It's been taking place. It's been building with, up for a long yeah, time. With, yeah, with all of these modern authors who are stepping in and inventing stuff and I'm right now in the middle of reading a book on Thomas Jefferson and they're going again into the concept that he fathered five children by the slave Sally Hemings that's all been proven scientifically false yeah. I mean, we're not even portraying yeah. honest, real They don't even try. It's kind of like uh, many of the m- mainstream media news outlets and so forth. They don't even try well, to th- discover the truth. They just want to push a narrative. The DNA, we have DNA evidence today. That's yeah. how we know that Thomas Jefferson was not the father of all these children because we have DNA evidence that proves that yeah. he wasn't. From his but, other, other children and the and the children from these from through her, basically, they don't it, match. It's actually interesting because the last of Sally Hemings' chi- children the fifth one, was fathered by a Jefferson. But there are 16 living individuals that could have fathered him. And Jefferson was one of those 16. There is no evidence that Jefferson did that. In fact, all of his family stated that, that, would, that, that there was no way he would have done that. And, but no one ever mentions the fact that at the time Sally Hemings became pregnant, Thomas Jefferson's brother Randolph was living with him, had come to stay with him, and he used to go out and frolic with the slaves, and he was another one of the 16. So we really honestly don't know who fathered the last child. We only know that Jefferson would have been one of 16, and all yeah, but, of his But, but that wouldn't help the narrative, though, see? Yeah, no, it wouldn't help the wouldn't narrative. wouldn't help the narrative if, if you had uh, this other guy doing it. And so we have, so. Uh, there's just a lot of jungle. <laughs> it, it's hard for me to deal with, with having done the research. It's just hard to deal with. And so I like the point that you're bringing out about the records being so important because we have to keep the records pure and they're getting pretty muddy. Yeah, very much so. So then if we go to uh, the uh, uh, verse 11, basically it says, now these mysteries were not yet fully made known unto me, therefore I shall forbear. And it may suffice it to say, only that they were preserved for a wise purpose. So again, he brings up this wise purpose. Then in uh, the, the next uh, verse, verse 13, he says, remember to that to uh, how strict are the commandments of God, and if you keep my commandments, you'll prosper in the land. That's probably about at least ten or twelve times <laughs> that that's been that mentioned. statement is in, in, in the Book of Mormon, you know, in general, and probably I mean I have I gotta look it up at some point in time and we, see we how many should. times it says uh, how many times keep my commandments. Stated. Yeah, but a lot yeah. of times it's keep my commandments and you'll prosper, or don't keep my commandments and you're gonna have problems, right? You know, we're, we're getting ready to terminate this, but I have one other concept I'd really like to bring up, yeah. and that's on the topic of the Liahona. Um, yeah, that's, that's coming up here. 
Oh, good. good that's good. going to come up here. Right. That's, that's, in, that's in verse 38. Okay, go for it. <laughs> <laughs> Don't jump in here. Just, just hang, hang on one happen. second. <laughs> no, we won't. <laughs> okay. Anyway, so again, and, and throughout this, it says, if you transgress the commandments of God, then uh, behold, these things which are sacred shall be taken away from you. Um, it talks about a wise purpose again. Uh, verse 20, be diligent in keeping the commandments of God as they are written. Then Helaman learns about the 24 plates. So apparently he didn't know about this prior to this time frame, but uh-huh. now he says, and now I will speak unto you concerning those 24 plates that ye, that, um, that ye keep them. Okay, he may have known about them, but he's now going to be given a commission to uh, protect them yeah, protect and defend them. them. Yeah. That the mysteries and the works of darkness and their secret works are the secret works of those people who have been destroyed may be made manifest into this people. This is talking about the Jaredites. This is the 24 plates that talk about how they were destroyed. This is the only. This is the only forewarning. Well, I shouldn't say the only forewarning because you have, they have the five books of Moses, so they know that when Adam's posterity got unrighteous, that they got kicked off of this land, and then we see, and then here's the Nephites are finding out from the twenty-four plates that the previous civilization, the Jaredites, they had been uh, destroyed off the face of this land because of their iniquities. So they did have basically two warnings. We have the advantage, though, folks, because we have. Three warnings. <laughs> okay. Well, and so don't you just love that law that God gave us? Out of the mouths of two or three shall every truth yep. be established. And we have so many records that tell us yep. when the people disobey and yep. they've been, they break the commandments of God, they get wiped off the yep. face of the land. They get, uh, like uh, my, my friend Doug Brindley likes to say, they get the broom treatment. <laughs> <laughs> That's Bob Swept off the land. them off. That's right. Okay, Sweep so so in, in verse, uh, in verse uh, 21, the end of verse 21, it talks about these things called the interpreters. It says uh, that you may, that, uh, may be manifest unto this people, yea, and that ye preserve these interpreters. So he's telling Helaman. So now Alma the Younger has had these things called interpreters, and now he's handing them or passing them off down to, to Helaman. And, uh, and he calls these things interpreters. It says, For behold, the Lord saw his people began to work in darkness, yea, se- uh, ye work secret murders and abominations. Therefore the Lord said, quote, If they did not repent, they should be destroyed from off the face of the earth. And the Lord um, talked about that afterwards. So anyway, so long story short, it's in verse 24. It says, And now, my son, these interpreters were prepared that the word of God might be fulfilled. So the, the word of, so, so these interpreters were made for a purpose. And the purpose is to be able to interpret from one language into another language. Mm-hmm. And it says in verse 25, And I will bring forth out of darkness into light all their secret works and their abominations. Well, this hadn't happened yet. So he's, what he's talking about is the coming forth of the Book of Mormon with the Book of Ether intact. Yes. yes, um, yes. And so, that, so that now this, the, the Book of Ether is going to be going out and all the secret works and abominations are going to be brought to light. And except they repent, I will destroy them from off the face of the earth. And I will bring to light all the secret com- secrets and abominations unto every nation that shall hereafter possess what land? This land. Their land. The land right. of promise. The land of promise. And he says, and now my son, these interpreters were prepared, okay? So God basically made these interpreters, this the the Urim and Thummim, basically, as we understand it today. Um, they were passed down and down and down throughout all of history of the Jaredites, and then down through all the history of the Nephites, and then it ended up that that Moroni takes those interpreters and puts them actually in the stone box along with the the, the gold plates, 
And what was the purpose of these things again? So we could read the records, or excuse me, so to the interpret. translator could read the records. Yeah, so we could have that interpreted from yeah. their language into our modern-day language, which Joseph Smith yes. did. God's system of interpreting those plates yeah. was the Urim and Thummim. Yeah. But you know, Pam, according to some people, though, um, well, for, for over 100 and almost 200 years, the church has always maintained that the, that the translation of the Book of Mormon from this right here, from the gold plates into this right here, the Book of Mormon, that that was done through the gift and power of God and using a thing called the Urim and Thummim. But as of late, there have been those who have said, no, no, the, the early brethren were lying to us, really. They, Joseph Smith may have used that, the, the, the interpreters for a little bit, but mostly he used this, this, this little stone, a peep stone. He put it into a hat, and he stick his face in the hat, and then he would read it off of there. That was a, that was a technique used by wizards in the day. True. That, That's yeah. true. And, and, and but wasn't Joseph told... Smith a wizard? <laughs> Well, it's He's like the grand master of wizardry or it's something? It's definitely not deal? a prophet of God. Okay, and so no, he wasn't. We're, we're told that this was done for purposes of convenience. I know of nothing that I was ever told when I was growing up, and I've read uh, a great many of those records, and uh, there's no mention of a yeah. wizard stone in the bottom of the hat. Or, or, or also, um, you know, or, or God making it just easier for somebody. Um, well, now, God usually expects some kind of effort, some kind right. of thing. And the other thing is, why would God have created this set of interpreters and, and then, then made sure that they got all the way into the stone box just so Joseph Smith could go, you know what, this is kind of hard. I think I'll just use this other thing instead. I, I just, instead uh, of using the instrument that God had prepared more than a thousand years in advance. <laughs> <laughs> no, and it's not just Joseph Smith. And brothers and sisters, um, in case you're wondering what we're talking about here, basically there's there's been a um, um, a changing of the history. This is why we're talking about history right now, because there's been a changing of the history of the church from what Joseph Smith, Oliver Cowdery, and those who actually were involved with the translation process. And every single time in the Doctrine and Covenants that the Lord talks about the translation processes, he never, ever once ever mentions a stone in a hat being used in the process. He always talked about the Urim and Thummim consistently. So those who are trying to change our history are literally causing a faith crisis in many people because they go, wait a minute, we were lied to all this time. The early brethren said it happened with this, this Urim and Thummim and so forth, but no, now you're telling us that that didn't happen, that Joseph Smith, just because it was a little hard, decided to go ahead and use a, a, a magical peep stone in the hat. Now, did he have a peep stone? Yes, he had some seer stones, okay? But then he used it in the translation. There's not a single solitary, valid, historically documented um, understanding of somebody who's actually a, a faithful member of the church that says anything about a peep stone. Anything at all. Every, every person who talked about the peep stone and the hat idea were basically disaffected members of the church or they weren't, they weren't active members. Emma um, you know, and, and, and David Whitmer and a couple of the other ones, basically, they didn't have... A testimony of the church. Emma refused to come and be part of the church with uh, with with Brigham Young, and people said, "Well, you know," and she still is an elect lady. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that she didn't follow Brigham Young. She didn't right. follow the prophet, right? And she should have. And just in my personal opinion, well, I, <laughs> she went through a lot though, and I understand. I totally get it, and not up to me to judge Emma, but I'm just saying that that she, the facts are the facts. She didn't follow. 
the, the profit. And the yeah. facts are that the Urim and Thummim were, uh, was, were, do we call this a singly or a plural? <laughs> were, that was the tool that was used to interpret the Book of Mormon. Yes. Okay. And, and here it talks about the importance of these interpreters in the coming forth of this this book that's going to bring out the secret works and abominations of the of the ancient people. So, uh, so it was supposed to be used for that. I believe 100% that it was used for that. There was no time when any of the people involved with it, specifically Joseph Smith or, Hire, or, or excuse me, Oliver Cowdery, um, ever talked about it being a, a, a rock and a hat. Okay, so enough of that 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 stuff. Okay. Um, in, in verse um, 28, for behold, there is a curse upon all this land that destruction shall come upon all those workers of darkness according to the power of God when they are fully ripe. That's right. And we don't know what fully ripe means. Yeah. We don't have a definition of that, do we? Well, he kind of gives us a pretty good clue, though. When the majority of the people choose wickedness, that's right. That's when they are fully right. But then we aren't going to get into that until we get into Helaman. So we'll that's get to right. there in just a minute. Oh, okay. but exciting things come. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now let's talk about the Leahona. Okay. Well, we got Alma counsels Helaman. He says, "Teach them." Um, he's begging him as the leader. If you have influence, brothers and sisters, you need to be worried about teaching other people. And he tells them about everlasting hatred against sin and iniquity. Preach them repentance and faith and humble yourselves and be meek and lowly in heart and withstand every temptation. Never be weary in doing good. Learn wisdom in your youth. Um, learn in thy youth to, to keep the commandments of God. How many times do they have to keep reiterating the fact that we have to live the commandments of God? How can you live a commandment if you don't know it? And that's why we study the scriptures on a routine basis. And that's one of the main reasons yeah. we study the Book of Mormon is because it reiterates to us over and over again what the commandments uh -huh. are. And it acts as kind of a checklist for each one yeah. of us. That's day. also the reason why Satan would have the Ten Commandments taken down from everything. That's right. And isn't that exactly what's been happening in our nation as and well? The there's, been a, there's been an attack, and uh, literally, it's been a war against the Ten Commandments. That's right. Um, many, many states and so forth have now enacted laws and taken down the commandments from their state houses and their, their, uh, their governmental buildings because, well, this is, this is you know, freedom from religion. It wasn't about freedom from religion. It was mm -hmm. freedom of religion. Yeah, this separation of church <laughs> and state has gotten completely out of yeah. hand. That is not what the Constitution said. That's not what the Founding Fathers had in mind at all. Yeah. Uh, the intent written, written into the Constitution of the United States was to keep the law out of religion, not to keep religion out of the law. Keep the government from meddling in, right. in the religious aspects and to prevent, of it. And to prevent the, the development of a state religion. Because yeah. uh, Bob and I certainly saw that living in Italy for the... To the year and a half that we were there, we saw that church and state had become so intermingled that one became the other and you became disaffected with one and you therefore were disaffected. And Italy is kind of a special well. case too because they have the government, then they have the Vatican, uh -huh. <laughs> and then they have, you know, the, so the church and the state there yeah. have a lot of commingling going on. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, and we just, we didn't want to get into that in the United States of America at all. Right. I think we've done a, We've Which is why it. people can be Muslim or Christian or Chinese, you know, I mean, Buddhist or, or Hindu or whatever kind of religion, and they're still basically accepted into the United States, the cultural fabric of the United States, even That's though right. the nation itself was established based on which principles? It's based on Christian, Christian principles. Christian principles, and it's very important we understand that we must maintain those Christian principles that stand at the 
foundation of our Constitution of the United States. And so I'm very worried about what's happening. We're seeing this in the national legislature with the uh, aggrandizing of some, the religious laws of some other religions mm -hmm. and kind of suppressing the whole concept with Christians. Uh, as Bob and I traveled the country, I, I used to How teach, many other religions have a Ten Commandments? How many what? How many other religions have a Ten Commandments? Well, I don't it. know that any of them actually have not written in those. They have their yeah. own well, laws. The, well, the Hebrews would probably. I mean, yes. the Torah right. basically has the Ten Commandments, so they yeah. would believe in that stuff too. Um, maybe some Muslim. I'm, I'm not. I don't know. Don't know the Muslim religion well enough to know if they. But I think that they do actually adhere to the Ten Commandments, generally speaking. I do not. But they have. But they have that. then a whole other set of laws. Like this is what the Sanhedrin was, and and so forth, in the, for the Jews, and uh, and what the. Um, uh, you know, the, the, the um, Islamic ideas basically are Muslim uh, laws and so forth have other laws that have been instituted like Sharia law and so forth um, that have been, uh, that are not based on the, the Ten Commandments. The point basically I'm trying to make here is that when we say we're a Christian nation set up with Christian values and Christian fundamentals, the fundamentals that they're talking about primarily is the Ten Commandments. That's right. Which was from... God to Moses. Well, so um, one of the things that I've done, Bob and I have traveled the country a lot uh, teaching about the Constitution. And uh, one of the presentations that I've given very often is a presentation called The Christian Nature of the Constitution. And so I would go into the Declaration of Independence where there are frequent mentions, there are four specific mentions in the Declaration of Independence mm -hmm. to the fact that God is the foundation of our government. And then you go into the Constitution and you find religion mentioned uh, noticeably only twice. The first is in the First Amendment. And the second one is at the end of Article 6 where it states there'll be no religious test given in government. And so for, and, and then in addition to that, you find the word ordain used twice in the Constitution. And what is That's the word nation? Fascinating. Well, the, if you go into the, the, the closest uh, definition that I can find for the, for the word ordain and how it was being used at the time of the Founding Fathers would come in Webster's 1828 Dictionary, yes. which was our first American dictionary. And the word ordain means of priestly quality. And it's oh. interesting that this concept of ordain appears in our preamble, which yep. is the our, our mission statement, and then it appears very profoundly as it talks about the court system. It talks about the word ordain, but then you find a fifth reference in the in the Constitution to religious principles when you have the ten day period of time that the president has to veto a law passed by the legislature. It exempts the Sabbath, so there is a fifth representation of Christian. Christian principles in the Constitution. So travel the country, and I'm talking about this to a great many people. Bob and I talked, uh, Bob and I went a lot to homeschool conventions with Protestants, um, because homeschoolers seem to have more of a dedication to teaching the principles of the Constitution than others. And so I'd, we'd come home well, from fact, that. That's almost been outlawed as far as in the public schools yeah. now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And so we came home, and I was sitting in the chair in my office one day, and the, I just kept this I just kept getting this feeling that I needed to look deeper at that. I needed to look deeper. And so I really began praying about it. And as the Spirit instructed me, I realized that I needed to create a set of Christian principles, and then I needed to go through the Constitution and evaluate the Constitution according to those sets of Christian principles. I created the following list of eight sets of principles that I wanted to use to evaluate the Constitution. And this is that set of principles. The first set of principles is agency, 
and accountability. When I'm talking to a non-LDS group, I will use the words choice and responsibility because those terms make more sense when you step outside the realm of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The second set of principles is equity and fairness. Notice not equality because that's been politicized, but equity and fairness. It doesn't guarantee that everybody's going to be successful. It's going to give everybody everybody the opportunity to do that. Everybody has a fair chance. The third set is integrity and honesty. The law will always operate in fairness with integrity, always telling the truth. The fourth set of principles is justice and mercy, that in the interpretation of the law, all people will receive the same consequences and the same justification, that while justice will be imposed, there will also be principles of mercy. One of the best examples of that that you can find is the impeachment of the president because if the president has done something wrong we can impeach him but that pertains only to his office it does not step in as other governments would have done and then take away everything from his family and everything every piece of property that he owns that has to take place in another court of law that's a a principle a beautiful principle of justice and mercy operating there Um, The fifth was order and organization. Anything that God creates is always going to be ordered, and it's going to appear in an organized sense. Um, The sixth set is peace and prosperity. When we have prosperity, as we live by economic principles determined by the law of God, and those are very obvious in the Book of Mormon, you can find them there, we will have peace. And the seventh set of principles is safety and security. We will always have the right to maintain our own safety and to keep ourselves secure. God would never, ever take away from us the right to protect ourselves and to keep ourselves secure, which is one of the reasons, of course, why we have the Second Second Amendment. Amendment. And then the final set of principles was work and self-reliance under God's principles of government. Individuals are expected to work for their own actions, for their own upkeep. By the sweat of thy brow, thou shalt eat bread, right? That's exactly right. And self-reliance means not only do you work, but you also prepare for the future so that whatever comes to you, you will have the means available to you to take care of that. And so Bob and I have taught those sets of principles all across the country. Um, We've had some very interesting experiences with that in teaching Protestants, in teaching political groups, some very interesting experiences. But But this is the concept that we're talking about. This is what we talk about when we talk about keeping the commandments and the laws of the United States being based in the commandments of God. If you go to the Doctrine and Covenants, it's so clear. Sections 98, 101, 109 all tell us that the Constitution was inspired by God, that it was created by wise men that he raised up for that purpose, and that those individuals are creating a law that is not just for the United States of America, but for the world. And then you find many of those principles that are listed in Doctrine and Covenants section 134. So you have all of these beautiful principles, and but, but the 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 Constitution rests on the De- Declaration of Independence, which gives it its legal basis. And then both of them rest on this foundation of Christian principles. You cannot depart those Christian principles without departing the concepts of good and wise law. And you can see that as you look at those set of eight principles, because all of those, all of those, if subtracted from government, produce a government that is unworkable, that is tyrannical, and that will be despotic. And that, that this, I think the reason why the, the, uh, the Constitution of the United States is such a, uh, 
a critically important document. It's profound. That we understand it, that we do all that we can to protect it. Exactly uh, right. Fact, I mean, in section 101 of the Doctrine and Covenants, the Lord says that I raised up men for the purpose of this. That's right. Right? And, he, and, and so God, basically the Lord, is taking complete credit for the, <laughs> the Constitution. You know? He actually He said, I he made absolutely it. Does. Yes, he totally. absolutely does. Yes, yeah. totally. absolutely does. And the Constitution is not a perfect document. Um, it, it, no one is trying to say that it's a perfect document. It's not yeah. like the Law of Moses, where you actually have God stating the Law to Moses. But it was yeah. given to us because it was what we needed at this point in time, and the individuals who brought it forward had the skills yeah. and the ability to do that. They had all been prepared by God. If you go back and you look at the history of these men, and I've been doing that, it's just unbelievable. Yeah. Oh, it's wonderful. I love it. The the experiences that these individuals were given in their their previous to the coming forth of the Constitution lives, they, uh, it's just amazing to see how the Lord prepared each one of them. Well, and and to put, that, to put their 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 lives and their sacred honor on the line. And then you, when they brought them all together in in conference in order to create the Constitution, when you read what they actually what was actually said and the emotions that evolved, you realize that it still came forward in a process with some chaos connected to it, because yeah. you were bringing forward uh, slave states and free states, northern states and southern states, large states and small states, and and the needs of all of those had to be incorporated into this document, but they did it. They yeah. did it and got it. They had it to have some compromises, which was what the slavery was one of those things. Well, um, the whole slavery. At, at the beginning of that and so forth. But there's, but that was, again, that was something that, uh, that, that the, the United States wouldn't have uh, made it through, it wouldn't have been formed had right. the southern states been told, okay, we were actually not going to allow slavery. The southern states would say, well, then we're out of here. It was Georgia and South Carolina that said that, and North Carolina went along with them. But if we're going to, if we're going to just mention this topic of slavery, the Constitution, the Constitutional Convention did not have the authority to do that. Yes. They could not have done that. They were not authorized to do so. The states had laws the that states prohibited had the most, uh, and controlled power. that. Yeah. And so if, you can't go in and blame the Founding Fathers for what they didn't do because they didn't have the power to, to do, do that. Mm-hmm. And the slaves didn't have the ability to take care of themselves at that point in time. So you have a lot of reasons why the Constitutional Convention could not bring that forward. Yeah. Yep. All right. So let's, let's, let's talk about and uh, finish up here on these, on this, uh, on these chapters here. Uh, the Liahona. Ah. <laughs> okay. oh, I know so you've been waiting for that. So I've been talking about the Constitution <laughs> of the United States. The Liahona is not just an entity that Lehi had to lead himself yeah. and, and all of his group of people to bring. The Liahona is not just an instrument that Lehi had to bring his family to the, to the promised land, but it's also a symbol of those things which can be Liahonas to us to guide us. And I believe that the Constitution fits into that category. Wow, that's pretty it cool. It is a document yeah. that tells us what right and proper law is for our day and age. And that's one of the reasons I believe so strongly that people should read the Constitution of the United States. I think it should be read at least yearly. Mm-hmm. I think it should be read in a similar way, although not so often, to your scriptures, because it was given to us by God. Yeah. It's the way God, the way, government's so I, I supposed to operate. I have my personal copy of the uh, the. The Constitution here behind us, over here behind uh, yeah. Pam here, <laughs> and uh, and then uh, so in, in verse thirty eight says, and now my son, I would somewhat, I, I have somewhat to say concerning the thing which our fathers call a ball or director, or our fathers called it Liahona, which is being interpreted 
This is kind of interesting. They have the interpreted word interpreter, for the interpreter. Yeah, right. It's called the compass. So basically, if you take this uh, right here, um, again, uh, so, so uh, Lehi let us borrow this here today so we could kind of show you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, again, we, we, don't, we, we really have no idea what, uh, what, what shape. I mean, it was, it, it was a ball, so I guess we know the shape. But we don't know um, what was in it or how they looked at it or even how big it was. Uh, but this is basically just a representation of what it may have been, and uh, and and essentially the the point basically that they're making with this is that it was by faith that this worked. Yes, exactly. And uh, and and it, and it says in uh, in verse um, thirty nine, and behold, it was prepared to show unto our fathers the course which they should travel in the wilderness, and it had worked for them according to their faith in God. Um, now. So they could know their travels in the wilderness. I mean, isn't that kind of like our lives? I mean, we're traveling through this wilderness. We don't really know what's going to happen to us in the future. But if we have faith and we put that faith in God, mm-hmm. then God will direct us, will guide us. And we don't have to have our own you know, physical instrument to be able to do that. We have the Spirit and the Holy Ghost, basically, to, uh, to be able to help discern mm-hmm. the things that are coming. I know that there's a lot of people out there, folks, that are, that are very concerned about the, the things that are happening in our nation. And what does that mean? What does that foretell? Is this, there's a kind of a foreboding about what's going to be happening I in the United that's States. Good, that's a good feeling, foreboding. I think yeah. a lot of people feel that. And, and, and in fact, President Hinckley uh, years ago said that, you know, they're, 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 the, uh, what do you call it, the... Um, in a priesthood session, I remember he, he said that there's a portents of stormy weather ahead mm, that was going to happen. That's the kind of foreboding. Those are the right? prophecies. So I think if we're going to listen to our prophets and listen to the, and what the Book of Mormon is saying, um, we're going to get into some really interesting information that's going to tell us how can we navigate the future. Because that's what everybody wants to know. What's going to happen? What's going to happen to us? And if you're prepared... You won't fear, so it takes away some of the fear aspect of it. But uh, when it comes down to the signs, uh, the Lord actually has told us that we should be, in fact, we've been commanded that we should look for the signs so that the, with the coming of the Son of Man isn't, doesn't overtake you like a thief in the night, right? So, right. so these are all things that, uh, that, that are a part of the preparing and to have an understanding of the, of the United States and this covenant nation and realizing that the prophecies that are in the Book of Mormon are specifically for and warnings about that nation. Again, okay. there's the Book of Mormon acting as a liaison yeah. for each one of us. And, and, and so he actually talks about this. Uh, again, this is in verse 43 now of Alma 37. He says, And now, my son, I would that ye should understand that these things are not without a shadow. Mm-hmm. A shadow. What does he mean, a shadow? A, a, a parallel, basically, uh-huh. or a foreshadowing yeah. or... Or you can you heard the term types and shadows. Mm-hmm. This is basically parallelisms that go on here, and uh, it's, and then it says in verse forty five. And now I say, is there not a type in this thing? For just as surely as this director did bring our fathers by following its course to the promised land, shall the words of Christ, if we follow their course, carry us beyond this ah. veil of sorrow into a far better land of promise. That's our great Leahona. Words of Christ. 
That's right. The scriptures. So that's basically what that's all about. Now, uh, we're going to finish up uh, Alma chapter 38. Uh, again, this is now uh, Alma again, but with a different son to Shiblon. And basically, he reiterates a lot of the same kind of things. So we're not going to go into detail on that. But he, the first part, he says, keep the commandments. You'll prosper in the land. And as much as you will not keep the commandments, you'll be cast off from his presence. So there again, he, he, he is driving this absolutely home over and over again. Um, just in these three chapters, the words keeping keeping the commandments or obey the commandments kind of thing, that, that, that concept is in here about a dozen times. And Alma just goes through that and through that. That's so important to his sons. Yeah. This is what I'm telling you. Keep the commandments. Yeah. And this is what we would say to the, the people that we talk to and counsel with. Keep the commandments. Okay, so Pam, so that, that, that's going to end our, our, our session here today for this week. And uh, Pam, uh, so we have some things that we're going to be doing. This is going to be part two in about four weeks from now. Uh, Pam and I, are, are, you're going to see this next part, which is basically we're going to be going into the first uh, six chapters of Helaman. And that's when things start getting really mixed up. You know, we've had a lot of a lot of things going on among the Nephite culture, but we start to see things really heat up in yep. Helaman. Yep. So, uh, so yeah, stay tuned. Uh, I think you're going to enjoy. We have some great podcasts coming up here. Uh, did want to uh, say one last kind of thing here before we uh, before we break away. But this has to do with our uh, our, our acceptance of evil. And we're going to see this going on now a lot with, and when we get up to, uh, to heal it. But the, the, the concept basically is this. First, we overlook evil. Mm-hmm. Then we permit evil. Then we legalize the evil. Then we promote it. Then we celebrate it. And then we persecute those who still call it evil. And when you legalize something as a nation, you have accepted that as a nation. And that's a very, very serious action. When we look mm-hmm. at the, the moral things that have been legalized lately, but also just the, the acceptance of the rioters and the things that are going on, even though that's not legalization, the leaders are still accepting that. When you, when you do that, you're saying to the culture, it's okay for us. We, these are the things we believe. This is what we are. And this is when we begin to lose the word of God. I mean, we lose, we lose our place. Yeah. On the promised land. Okay, so now if you've been, if you're watching this and uh, and and uh, and you're kind of staying up with where we're at in the Come Follow Me program, um, the next couple of weeks we have uh, Lynette Reed is coming up, and then uh, and then and you're going to love that one coming up next week. Uh, Darren Darren Southam and Jason Mao. Um, so don't forget though that Pam's coming up after them. So, so okay. <laughs> just be, just so you know uh, what's going on, and, and you're going to love those. Uh, we have th- those are our tremendous uh, presentations. Yeah, they well. love so Enjoy. Them I think both. you're going to enjoy that. Good. Thank you everybody for joining us again. We want to uh, encourage you to hit the like button down below, and uh, and like us and uh, share this information if you will. Uh, send this out to the people on your list that you think might have an interest in the Book of Mormon. Uh, or want to learn more or have more in-depth understanding of the Book of Mormon. Um, I think it's been a pretty good deep dive uh, here on the on the, the government's thing. I want to recommend a couple of other uh, things as well. If you'd like to know more about the covenant stuff that we talked about at the beginning, we have the American Promised Land Covenant DVD, which is an important one um, for understanding the more in-depth de- the details on this covenant. Um, once you understand about the covenant, then you can go to this one, which is called Book of Mormon, Current is the Daily News. This is the DVD that goes into why the covenant is important, what are the aspects of the covenant, but then also you will see the the fulfillment of what happens when a people reject God on a promised land happening right before our eyes as, you, as you're taught about uh, the 9-11 connections and what happened in 2008 with the stock market crash and what happened in 2015 and what's going to happen in 2022 
with a with a sign. If it, if this pattern holds, there there would probably be a sign uh, that will indicate the beginning of the cleansing of the, the, the off the land part. Uh, because but you'll see that information. Uh, if you want to know more about the government uh, information itself, I, I would highly recommend this this DVD. It's called uh, For Our Day: Divinely Sanctioned Governments by uh, the Joseph Smith Foundation and the Stoddards. Uh, fabulous, fabulous uh, information that take basically the, the the two times when God has basically created a government, you know, basically of the people, by the people, and for the people, um, which is the basically the laws of Mosiah in the Book of Mormon that he sanctioned, and also the Constitution of the United States. And what are the similarities between those two documents? And what can we learn because of these two documents about the proper roles of government in the world and when you can, when you can recognize when governments have gone astray from those roles? And it's just a tremendous, uh, tremendous resource. Uh, this is For Our Day Covenant on the Land, again, by the Joseph Smith Foundation, the Stoddards. And basically, they talk about, uh, in this one, the parallelisms between the United States of America and the Book of Mormon. How, if you look at the chronological history of the Book of Mormon, you will understand better the chronological history of the United States, even into the future. And it's just some great stuff. Now, Pam, you also have uh, some some books and things. Would you like to uh, tell us a little bit more about that? I would, yes. Um, after Bob and I returned from our mission to Italy... I began studying the Constitution because I was so concerned about what we were seeing going on in government. And so under some strong prompting, I began writing, and I've written a book called Promises of the Constitution, Yesterday, Today, Tomorrow. Beautiful. The entire book is written in one-and-a-half-page segments, and I start with the beginning of the, the principles, the basic principles that underlie the Constitution, but then I go through the history, I go through the, the uh, Constitutional Convention, I go through the Revolutionary War, and go through the, the miracles and such, and then I go into the Constitution itself, and then I go into the force that's working to destroy the Constitution, and that force, as I determined after a great deal of fasting and prayer and attendance in the temple, I've come to the conclusion that that force is humanism. That is the belief mm-hmm. that God is dead and and that man governs all, and that all that is done is done for the benefit of man without God. And so after creating that book, I worked with um, a curriculum specialist to develop two additional books. One is a workbook and one a parent-teacher volume where we take those individual short segments in Promises of the Constitution, and we create a, a course of study that can be used by students, um, we're aiming at elementary school students in the upper elementary grades and anyone up above that. Um, a lot of senior citizens like to use the program. Uh, we combine Bible scriptures so that you can see how the founding fathers took the, the concepts from the Bible and put them into the Constitution yeah, itself. Awesome. And then we've created some additional DVDs, one called Parallels in Government, where I talk about um, the, the law of ancient Israel, the Law of Moses, and how and the Nephite government, and then the United States Constitution, and tie all of those together. And then I've done one called um, America's Founders, Mentors for Children, where we talk about just some of the stories of the Founding Fathers. And it's so fun to talk about those, because we took the known and the unknown, the old and the young, uh, several different periods of time, and just had a lot of fun with that. And then I've done one also on humanism. So those are all available, and they are available at our website, which is promisesoftheconstitution.com. There you go. And our telephone number is 801-373-0240. Okay, and then also, last but not least, we have The Miracle of America, Birth of a Nation, 
Um, these are a lot of the, about, I think there's about 10 or 12 stories here uh, about the miraculous uh, aspects of the coming forth of the uh, of, of this. There's actually, uh, um, yeah, about to probably 15 different examples uh, that beautifully, beautifully illustrated. In fact, uh, one of my very favorite stories here is, uh, it's called The Miracle of the Old South Church which uh, talks about the King George's War and how um, the, uh, the the French, uh, the King of France decided to send almost the entire uh, navy of the French, basically, uh, to the colonies to burn them down. And the colonies didn't have anything. They had no way to protect themselves. They were completely just sitting ducks. And uh, so what happened was is that they, they uh, had this uh, Reverend uh, Thomas Prince in the Old South Church, this is in Philadelphia, and he said, Deliver us from our enemy, send thy tempest, Lord, upon the waters to the eastward. Raise thy right hand, scatter the ships of our tormentors, and drive them hence. Sink their proud frigates beneath the power of thy winds. And right at that same moment, there was a, a storm squall that came up and basically uh, hit the church so hard it actually rang the, 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 the bell in the belfry. And then, uh, and then he, he heard this, and the, the whole church heard this, and he took it as a sign. And then he raised his hands high above his head, and uh, with tears in his eyes, he said, We hear thee, we hear thy voice, O Lord, we hear it. Thy breath is upon the waters to the eastward, even upon the deep. Thy bell tolls for the death of our enemies. He bowed his head in reverence and looked up, with tears streaming down his face, and said, Thine be thy glory, Lord. Amen and amen. What he didn't know was that at that, that same time in the, in the Atlantic Ocean, they had this entire fleet of over 100 ships of the French coming to burn down the colonies and put an end to this insurrection. And, uh, and the, there was a storm squall that came up in the Atlantic Ocean. The storm got so bad, it actually sank more than half of those ships. And it was so bad that they actually turned around and headed back to France. It was so bad that the admiral who was in charge of the entire operation ended up committing suicide on the way back because he couldn't bring himself to uh, to want to stand in front of the king of France and explain how he just lost half of the entire navy and never even fired a shot. If those kind of inspirational stories about the bulletproof, you know, for example, the bulletproof George Washington um, and how uh, af- after uh, you know, certain battles and so forth that he um, uh, was found with holes in his, in his, in his, in his hat and, his, and in his uh, coat and so forth, had several horses shot out from underneath them. And then later on, many years later, uh, there was an Indian chief, and they were talking, and they, they actually got to meet each other. And the Indian chief wanted to know who this man was because he said, you know, I was there during that battle. I was one of the chiefs. And I told my braves to stop shooting at him because he cannot be hit. He cannot be killed. You're wasting your bullets, basically, by doing that. Because this man is a man of God and he won't be killed. And uh, it was just another inspirational thing. There's, there's, there's so many different stories. One of my very fat, late, late favorite ones in the very back of this book here. It is called, um, I, I, love, I love the image mostly. <laughs> okay. But it's this image right here. I don't know if you can see that or not. But uh, it has Benjamin Franklin basically signing the Declaration of Independence. And if you take a close look, and I don't know if you can see this or not, but you can see he's actually signing with his left hand. Apparently, he was a left, lefty. And uh, you can see a tear coming down from his, his eye. And, uh, and it was actually recorded that when they were signing these things, most of these men knew that, they, that uh, if, the, if the king prevailed, they would be hung. They, would be, they, would, they, they were literally putting their, their life on the line. And uh, they said when he, when he was signing it, he said, the old man wept. 
And that's just a beautiful uh, tribute to President uh, Franklin. Um, this is about the, uh, the the chair that was in the uh, the, the there in uh, Independence Hall, and it had this this sign over, over the top of it over here. And they said uh, they they asked the question, "Is that a rising sun or a setting sun?" And uh, they 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 came to the conclusion that it was definitely a rising sun. This was a new nation that was going to be established. Anyway, these, all of these stories pretty much have been removed from the history books. Your kids and your grandkids will never know about these stories from their history books. So if you'd like them to know about this, then uh, this is a great book to have, The Miracle of America, Birth of a Nation, folks. Okay, thanks again for joining us. Again, uh, join us next week. Uh, we have some great things to, to share with you uh, coming up here in, uh, in Alma. And uh, so we'll keep going with that. Again, like us if, you'd like, if you can on the, on the bottom here and, and share this information. We'd like as many people as possible to see these podcasts and see the amazing truths that we have available for, uh, for everybody. Thanks again. We'll see you next week. If you like this Come Follow Me supplemental study, click the like button and share it with your friends. To learn more about Pamela's book and work, go to promisesoftheconstitution.com where you can book her as a speaker or you can email them at openshawenterprises at gmail.com. Be sure to go to our streaming site, which now has over 100 new videos from our virtual expo, bookofmormonevidencestreaming.com. 